Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Animation Fascination. I'm Mark Ribert, and with me this time is Mr. John Huber. Hello. So, if you guys haven't listened to this podcast before, we focus on the world of animation. Every other episode, we feature an animated series or film from the past or present, whether it's traditionally hand-drawn, computer-generated, or stop-motion. So, if it's animated, it's up for discussion with us. Today, we have we have the great pleasure of having Michael Amos on, who is a character animator at DreamWorks Animation. And he most recently worked on Mr. Peabody and Sherman, which John is very excited about, as well as I am. So stay tuned for that later in the show. But in a few seconds, we'll be back with our new releases and reviews for the week. So stay tuned. with our new releases for the week. The f- first one I'm going to be talking about is Gravity that's going to be coming out on this Tuesday. Uh, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll have come out yesterday. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed this one This came out in theaters. The, there's a 3D Blu-ray of it available, which I would suggest getting this, because if you can get the most immersive version of Gravity, I would say definitely get, get the most immersive one you can, because you want to experience this film to the full extent. What did you think about the movie when, when you saw it? It is literally a, uh, a roller coaster ride. You And yes, you have to see it in 3D and IMAX if you can do it, but obviously you can't okay. on the video. But oh man, that uh, that's that's an hour and a half of just white knuckle. I don't think I breathed. I mean, it was it's it's intense and, and a good intense. You come out of there just excited. I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think I've been more stressed out watching... <laughs> A movie before because like every single like sequence in that you get more stressed out because you're like oh man what's, what's gonna happen and but yeah I, I really enjoyed it and like i said i would definitely if you have a 3d tv get it in 3d because you're gonna want to experience it that way uh and there's three hours of special features on there too which, which are really cool too because you can see how uh, like the really intensive process that went into to making the film to create the the zero g environment of how they shot it they had Sandra Bullock and George uh, Clooney on these like special rigs, and like she even like did all this training so it would actually look like like she wasn't supporting her weight uh, on the wires that she was on during those sequences, and that she really had to trust uh, Alfonso Curion as, as their director because she really had no way to protect herself like if like a camera like fell off something, or if like she fell off the rig because she would just be hanging there for most of the time. So uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it and. The, if, like I said, if you liked seeing how, how films like this are made, this has a great behind-the-scenes featurettes really delving into all those different aspects of how they shot the film to make it look the way it did. Uh, which is really impressive, too, because you don't, like, when you're watching that, you don't even think about how much of the film is actually computer-generated and what's actually stuff they shot. And, like, pretty much, I would say, like, 80% of that movie is computer-generated. <laughs> It might, it might have more animation in it than a few of the animated films that came out last year. So, I literally thought that they had gone up, you know, a few miles in, into the atmosphere and filmed it because it looked. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying they were in space filming it, but it, it was seamless. And I, I want to know. That's that's one doc I will watch because I want to know how they did this. I want to know is it wire work? And I mean, it's just it's beautiful how they did this movie. 
Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and I would definitely suggest. And then, uh, and if you have a big TV, you're even more, you're even luckier since you can kind of have the same experience you had in theaters, but you have to have a really big screen to get anywhere close to what you would have had in an IMAX theater. <laughs> oh yeah. But yeah, that comes out Tuesday, and I would highly suggest picking that up. And even if you haven't seen it, I would I would say blind by that and watch it. Uh, Definitely. And I'm I'm hoping Alfonso Curion actually gets the the director Oscar for that because he's had a, a ton of great films that I've loved all of them like this Children of Men, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban so which is still my favorite one but <laughs> yeah so going from there we're gonna go to Thor the Dark World which is also coming out on Tuesday for Marvel there's also a 3D version of this available and again the 3D isn't uh, as needed for that, but again, I would I would suggest the 3D for that because it adds a little bit of depth to the film, especially with uh, the action sequences that they have in this, with all like the different portals and whatnot. It kind of adds a little bit of depth to those. Uh, and what I really liked on this was Marvel's been doing these one shots, and uh, on this one they have the one shot All Hail the King, which kind of shows what happens with Trevor Slattery after the events of Iron Man 3. Uh, did you? Did, did you you saw Iron Man three right, John? Oh yeah. All right. Did you, without giving away anything away, did you like, kind of? Uh, yes. Yes. That? Okay. I, yeah, like the whole, like the whole concept of what they did, it was fitting and it worked for me. Nice. And, and there's a there's a great cameo in, in this this one shot that I, I won't ruin, but just, don't. Yeah, just look for it. <laughs> it's it's awesome, uh, and it, it definitely gets me excited for for more of of what's to come in the Marvel universe too. And, and it would, it'll make all the people that were upset with, with things that happened in Iron Man three, uh, kind of shit up. But, uh, the next thing, there's an audio commentary. That's great with the uh, director, Alan Taylor, uh, re- uh, the cinematographer, Kramer Morgenthau and the producer of Marvel studios, Kevin Feige, which is, which is pretty cool. And, oh, an actor, Tom Hiddleston, AKA Loki. And they talk about the film. It sounds like some of it was recorded at different times, like Alan Taylor might have been recorded at a different time as the rest of everybody else. Because like, he doesn't seem to be interacting with the other three at times, which I thought was interesting. But uh, Kevin Feige talks a little bit about the Infinity Gauntlet and like what we should expect from the rest of Phase 2 for, for Marvel and what may be coming up in Phase 3. And for like little things you should notice during the film. So, so that's a cool little bit to watch. And then there's a brother's journey of Thor and Loki, which is about half an hour long, and it shows the story arc of these two characters from the first Thor movie, uh, the Avengers, and then in the Dark World as well. And I thought that was pretty great. Uh, there's deleted and extended scenes. Uh, most of them were deleted for good reason. There's a, I, I like the, the one that shows Loki actually in the, the Captain America costume from the, the same sequence that's in the film with uh, Chris Evans as Captain America. So that was kind of funny to see that. And then, then there's just some extended scenes, which are funny. Uh, then there's scoring the film uh, with Brian Taylor. Uh, shows how he scored the film. But yeah, so but if you're a big fan of like comp- uh, composed music for films, you'll definitely want to check that out. Uh, then there's a four-minute exclusive look to The Winter Soldier, which is basically just like a like an extended trailer, more or less, which with a lot of stuff we've already seen with a few kind of talking head interviews from people from the film. And then there's a four-minute gag reel, which is pretty funny. I really enjoyed that, seeing 
Chris Hemsworth and uh, Tom Hiddleston making each other laugh. That was pretty funny. <laughs> but yeah, so, and then, I, I definitely say pick that up, and, and you're probably going to pick that up too, right, John? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, did you, you said you enjoyed the movie too, right? Yeah, Thor's my favorite comic book character, and uh, both movies. I enjoyed the second one more than the first one, but I enjoyed the first one a lot, don't get me wrong. But uh, yeah, this one was this one was great. I loved every second of it. Definitely. Uh, and then th- there's a lot of film, a lot of Blu-rays coming, oh, great ones coming out this week. The the next two are actually animated. Uh, first one is Adventure Time season three, which uh, I think is still the the best season so far of of the show. It's got a lot of classic episodes on there. All of the episodes have commentaries on them by different members of the production staff, as well as the creator Pendleton Ward. Uh, those are all pretty funny. I checked out a bunch of those. Uh, there's an alternate Adventure Time intro, which is basically all done on Lego, which is pretty cool. Uh, there's a How an Idea Becomes Adventure Time, which is about a eight-minute feature that kind of goes into how the the writers on the show come up with that concept and how they kind of go into it and how Pendleton Ward gets embarrassed when he has to do the voice of Lumpy Space Princess. <laughs> but, yeah... If you're if you're a fan of Adventure Time, that's that's when a brainer would definitely say check that out. Especially with this show, without bright, the colors are getting that on a, a Blu-ray definitely makes those colors pop and it makes it well worth it. I've I've always said the animation is definitely one of the the better things to to check out in high definition just because of the use of color and the outlining of the characters and whatnot. So I would definitely say check that out. Have you watched Adventure Time before, John? Oh yeah, I've uh, I, I came in late. I came in about a year, year ago, year and a half ago, so I had a lot of catching up to do. But I mean, luckily it's really easy to catch up. But uh, yeah, I love the series. It's it's way beyond its years. Yeah, I'm I'm a few episodes behind. I'm I'm in the current season, but I think I'm like because this this last season they be, was it's usually only 26 episodes in a season, but for some reason uh, in season five. They kind of put season five and six together as one season, so we're, we're going to be getting basically what would that be? Forty-two episodes, so no, fifty-two. But yeah, so so Adventure Time, I would definitely say pick that up as well. I really enjoyed that. And then the next one uh, came out last week on the eighteenth. It was it's Beware the Batman: Shadows of Gotham, season one, part one from Warner Archive. And it's the the first couple episodes of this of the show. It's fourteen episodes, and uh, I enjoyed what I've watched so far of it. I I wasn't really too sold on the the style of like the character animation style in it, but once you kind of get used to that, the the story for the the series is pretty interesting in the anim. And like all of the rest of the animation is pretty well done. Uh, I know uh, when this was announced, it made our, our friend Ralph kind of upset because the love that's always shown for the the DC Trinity characters and basically nobody else. Uh, and so we're trying to push to get the Green Lantern anima- CG animated series put on a Blu-ray as well, and not just the DVD that they put out. So if, if you want to see Green Lantern and the animated series on Blu-ray as well. Uh, tweet Warner direct and let them know that you want to pick that Blu-ray up. 
but yeah, this this came out last week, and it is one of those Blu-rays where they'll only produce it if you order it. So that's yeah. an interesting thing too. But yeah, so if and I've heard actually that Beware of the Batman got canceled. So I guess don't get too invested in it <laughs> if you do watch it. That's the only thing that sucks about some new shows is that like you start watching them and you'll be one of maybe only a few people that actually do watch it, and then you get really invested in it, and then they cancel it. Like Green Lantern, the animated series, or Young, Young Justice, Justice, or Tron Uprising, or or various other shows. But yeah, so those are our new releases this week, and we will be back in a few seconds with mine and John's recommendations for the week. All right, and we're back with our recommendations for the week. Uh, my recommendation for this week is going to be Mr. Peabody and Sherman and Journey Way Back, which is a a kind of featurette that Netflix has available right now. It's about, I want to say, half an hour, and it details the history uh, of the beginning of the show from the Rocky Bullwinkle show that Jay Ward created and kind of why Jay Ward created the Rocky Bullwinkle show to begin with. Uh, the original concept for the show, which is kind of interesting, was originally about a boy who had a time-traveling like collar for his dog, and then they kind of switched it around, obviously, to what it is now with uh, Mr. Peabody being Sherman's owner and, and whatnot. But, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. It's got interviews with a few different people on it that I won't spoil anything from, but they're, they're very cool. And it shows some more footage from the film, so if you don't want to spoil your spoil yourself, uh, maybe I guess wait until after you've seen the movie to check it out. But it doesn't show too much more than what we've already seen in teaser trailers and theatrical trailers for the movie. So I, I'd say you're pretty safe. It's not trying to ruin anything for you. But yeah, I would definitely say, especially John, to to check that out. And I will after I see the movie. <laughs> and what did you want to recommend this week? I got a couple. I got three things actually. Um, first off. The uh, I recently saw a great documentary called Why We Ride. Um, it's out of Walking West Entertainment and Gnarly Now Entertainment. Um, it is a documentary on motorcycles and motorcycle riders. And it is a beautifully shot, one of the best-looking documentaries you will ever see. Um, the director, Brian H. Carroll, um, just got some amazing shots, some great use of slow motion, great use of close-ups. He tells a story visually, um, and that's why I'm using this platform to talk about it, because it's such a moving visual documentary. If you ride motorcycles, if you've ever wanted to ride a motorcycle, or you know someone who does, this is something you should check out. It is available on their website, whywayride.com. It is actually available now on Amazon as a digital download. And uh, it's coming to other digital um, ways to get it. And also there's screeners all over the country. Um, and they're, they're, they pop up as kind of local screeners. So kind of kind of keep your eyes open if you want to see it in a the theater with other writers. Um, it's tear-inducing to a lot of people. Um, I don't ride, and I got a little smoky-eyed. So it, uh, it touches the heartstrings a little bit. It makes you it, – it sh- 
the, the creators really show their passion. So I highly recommend it. If you, uh, again, if you ride or know someone who does, check out this movie. It's called Why We Ride. Is, is that the um, one that's got, uh, does that have Ewan McGregor in it at all? No, it is a documentary. Well, yeah, I, I know, but like he he rides motorcycles. So, and he had the that documentary series, the long way around and whatnot. So I was wondering if like maybe he was in there and his. It's got, it's got a lot of of known um, bike people, racers. Um, Alonzo Bowden, if you know who, he's a comedian who rides. He's he's featured prominently in the interviews. Um, and uh, you know Ed Kretz is Ed Kretz Jr. Uh, if you know who Ed Kretz is. Um, is featured, um, but no, Ewan McGregor's not in it. But there are other people, um, a lot of famous, some you know, very famous people, writers um, from the '70s that uh, you know wrote a book. Wrote a book. I forgot his name actually. I'm sorry, but he wrote a book about riding um, across Europe, so or around the world. Um, but yeah, it's it's really good, and I highly recommend it. Awesome. Um, I, one of a couple other things. Um, this last week. Marvel Studios released their new trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy, um, premiered on Jimmy Kimmel, and um, I love Guardians of the Galaxy. I love Abnett and Lanning's um, version of it. Not saying anything, taking anything from the older version, but when they kickstarted this thing in, in 08, it was one of my favorite books. I was deeply saddened when they canceled it. I love that Marvel's giving it some love for uh, for Marvel Studios. It's going to fit in perfectly with what they're doing. And the trailer is just one of those perfect trailers that if you're not singing hook on the feeling after you see it or using the word a-hole, then you need to watch it again because it's – I laughed throughout, laughed hard, guffawed out throughout. So if you haven't seen it yet, Gardens of the Galaxy trailer, you can find it anywhere online. Did you like it, Mark? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I liked the the tagline on, on the post, the teaser poster that I released too that just said, you're welcome. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I like Chris Pratt as Star Lord, and I thought that was that was funny with the, the you know the mechanical metal finger part with the obscene gesture alert over that. Right. That was great. And then I, I liked uh, since I was a big Doctor Who, I'm doc, big Doctor Who fan. I liked uh, that shot or two we got of Karen Gellan as Nebula in it too. That looked that was pretty awesome. So definitely looking forward to checking this movie out. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be one where we'll all be talking about come August. And uh, lastly, um, I know again this is an animation website, but um, I had the pleasure last week of seeing um, a, a live music show, a band called the Augustines. They're um, based originally from New York, now out of Seattle. Um, great band. If you're not familiar with them, you should check them out. They're on tour right now. I have a brand new album called Augustines. But what I really want to talk about, Mark, is this great band that opened up for them called My Goodness, and they're out of Seattle. Um, Literally, and I've I've been on this planet for 40 years. I've been going to shows for 38 of those years, and uh, this is the best band I think I've ever seen open for anybody. Um, the oh, two guys, the, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Local H, but they 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 sound like Led Zeppelin. They sound like Black Sabbath, and it's two guys: it's a drummer and a guitarist, and they are amazing. If you get a chance to check them out, they're touring all over the country, opening up for Augustines. They're called My Goodness. They have some singles on online um, on iTunes. Um, they do have an EP they released that you can probably purchase from their website. I assume you can. We picked it up at the show, but um, they are as good as I am advertising. Um, anybody who's anybody needs to check out this band if you love rock and roll music. They blew my socks off, and I still can't find them. My socks are gone. So <laughs> it's, they were that good. So th- those are my recommendations for the week. Very cool. Yeah, so those are your recommendations for the week, and then when we have Michael on later in the show, we'll ask him as well just before we close out the interview.
But yeah, stay tuned. We'll be back in a few seconds with our interview with Michael Amos, who is the character animator at DreamWorks Animation. And we'll be working on Mr. Peabody and Sherman, the film coming out on March 7th. So see you guys in a few seconds. All right, so we're to our main topic for the episode today. We're going to be interviewing Michael Amos, who is a character animator at DreamWorks Animation. Hi. Thank you for coming on, Michael. We really appreciate it. No problem at all. Uh, all right, so I guess without further ado, what initially got you into animation? Uh, well, I grew up in Australia, just to sort of probably give a little bit of a background. So I'm from Australia in Melbourne, and there's very little animation industry there. But I had always been into it. A friend of ours, a family friend, owns an animation gallery, uh, which sells like original drawings and cells and all that kind of stuff. And we were really, I used to just love going there and checking all that stuff out. And he was uh, really, he'd been running it for about 30 years now. And so he got to know a lot of the animators over here and would bring them out. So he'd bring out like Frank and Ollie and Chuck Jones and, and a whole bunch of the old guys to do exhibitions at, at his gallery. So I got to meet a lot of those guys when I was sort of between eight and 10. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, he had most of those guys out. And so, uh, yeah, I got to meet Frank and Ollie and, and I mean, I was 10 when that came, when they came out and got, to, and, and they were really cool. And, and I, I mean, I had no idea what to ask them at the time because I hadn't really got into this properly, but they were really, really helpful and did drawings and I was allowed to actually send them drawings and that kind of stuff, which was really nice. And then uh, Chuck Jones as well and, and all these guys sort of would come out and he would get loads of drawings from all these people. So and, and I've since bought many of those drawings. Uh, my wife has sort of put a ban on any more because we've run out of wall space. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I kind of really got into that and I was really into comics and I was really into just drawing and so... 2D was definitely the thing for me. And then Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out and that just blew me away. I was much more into Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes, cartoons and that kind of stuff as a kid rather than Disney. But when Roger Rabbit came out, I was really, really, really uh, impressed and saw it probably four or five times. I think I was about 11 when it came out and that that just blew my mind. And that at that point was probably when I decided I really wanted to get into it. And at the time, there was an animation studio in Australia, a Disney one in Sydney, and so I wrote them a letter and kind of convinced them to let me come and do a tour. So I did a little tour of the studio there and they were working on an extremely goofy movie at the time. And so they showed me all the drawings and they showed me what they were doing and I just got really into it. And so I, I pretty much just sort of stayed focused on that and there's not been a great deal of deviation really since. So, yeah, about since I was 10. Awesome. Yeah, um, you know, you talked about Chuck Jones and Frank and Ollie either before or even now, whose work inspires you? I mean, who who do you look at as, as somebody that, you know, drives you? Uh, I mean, I guess what's great about being at DreamWorks is that you're surrounded by those people that you used to look at, their blogs and websites and all that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, that's it's really nice to have access to those. So, I mean, like one of them obviously is James Baxter, who uh, I'm finally getting to work with now on How to Train Your Dragon 2 and, 
And I mean, I had a lot of, and a lot of people that I didn't even know about. Like there was, there was a lot of animators there that I'd never heard of, like Sean Sexton and, and uh, Greg Whitaker and all these other people that have, when I've since seen their work, have been completely blown away by it. So, and I sit next to a good friend of mine, Drew Adams, who was a mentor of mine, uh, animation mentor, and his work constantly inspires me because he's really trying to push it and really trying to do stuff that's a little bit more cartoony and, and, uh, and expressive and over the top. And so that, that really inspires me. But um, I guess there's other people. Like, there's another guy, Tim Watts, at work as well, who I'd never heard of. I'd seen one of his shorts but never realized it was his. And then he's one of these guys that's the most humble, nice person you've ever spoken to. And then you suddenly realize he's worked on everything you love. So, I mean, he's been in the industry for about 30 years. He got to work on, like, uh, The Prince and the Cobbler with Dick Williams and then... And uh, he was designed a lot of characters and did a lot of animation on Corpse Bride. He's one of these people that can do 2D animation, CG animation. He can do stop motion animation. He character designs. He does everything. Um, he's just an incredible artist. And so he, he definitely is an inspiration. And there was another guy at work too, Sandro Cluzo, who's since uh, gone on back over to Disney. But his stuff was amazing as well, 2D animation. So... A lot of those guys, and then also just the normal ones, I guess, as well, that everyone has, like the Nine Old Men, and I used to love Tex Avery, car I still do love Tex Avery cartoons, and Warner Brother cartoons, all that kind of stuff, so those, they're definitely all the things that really inspire. Oh, great. I guess kind of going off that, what, what drew you to the position of, of being a character animator, kind of based off all, all of that stuff that inspires you? Yeah, I mean, once I sort of realized that you could do this as a job and, and going to that Disney studio in Australia as a kid, I was just like, this, this really is what I want to be doing. I mean, I just love watching these things. The idea, I love drawing. So the idea of kind of getting into it at that level just was something that I really strove for. I mean, there was no real animation courses or, or anything you could do in Australia. So I just, I did graphic design and then tried to turn every every project into an animation project, which I'm not sure if they were too happy about, but I just would do as much as I could to get animation experience. And there was a little animation studio behind the university that I went to in Melbourne that he was painting cells still and he was doing like a lot of TV commercials. So I, I got a job working there while I was at uni just doing um, like cleanup and cell painting and stuff and, and just really got into doing that that side of things with him. And so I learned a lot from, from him as well, but it was just... I guess it was always just wanting to try and get into that and, uh, and kind of little deviations along the way of doing graphic design and, and websites and everything else that you could kind of do just to obviously keep yourself going. But, um, but yeah, always wanting to, to eventually get into doing full-blown animation. Very cool. What, is there a, a, a type of software that you prefer as a, as a character animator? I mean, what... what Technically, what do you do? How, how do you do it? I mean, what what kind of computer programs? What do you want to draw on tablet? You know, take us through the process of, of doing character animation. Sure. So I guess I do 2D and CG. I got hired at DreamWorks to work on Me and My Shadow. Um, so I was going to do both 2D and CG, which I got to do for about a year on that, almost a year on that project, and it, which was awesome. I love doing hand-drawn. I mean, for me, that was the draw card of coming over because there's virtually no, obviously, 2D animated films anymore. So the idea of getting to work on a 2D film and doing CG as well in the same shots just sounded amazing. So I had to, that was the big draw card for coming over. Unfortunately, obviously, that film's been put on hold since. But for almost a year, I got to do to go both. But so 2D, I mean, it's just the normal. It's just 
pencil and paper and, and working the way you'd expect. Whereas CG, I learned Maya when I was going to Animation Mentor. I'd never touched CG animation before that. And then uh, at DreamWorks, it's all proprietary software. So when I started, it was using this software called Emo, which is, I mean, it's scary when you see it. When I, the first week, I, I was just like, how are they making these films? It's, it, was it looked like it was designed in the 80s because it was. And they were telling me, like, one of their new features in the last few years was undos, uh, which kind of scared me because I used to just have to shut the software down and open a previous save to be able to get, like, to undo any of their work. Okay. Um, and it looked like a giant Excel spreadsheet. It was just this huge sheet of all these numbers and all these cells, and they were all your frames and all the values. This, no, there was, it was, and it was incredibly slow. So I worked on I used that right through until the end of last year. Uh, so on Peabody, Me and My Shadow, and uh, I also worked on a little Kung Fu Panda half-hour TV special thing. Um, so that was for a year or so, just over a year, I guess, on that software. And then we've now gone on to the new software, which is called Primo. And it's like the opposite. It's like going into the future and it's taking everything that's amazing from... There was some good stuff in Emo with the graph editor. There was some really nice tools, but... So they've taken anything that was good in Emo, everything that's good in Maya, and kind of made it together and made it in, in the most fast, insane piece of software you've ever used. So, I mean, I can have 10 dragons all in high res on and press play and it plays in real time. And then I can drag stuff in the curve and change stuff as it's playing and it will just update automatically. So it's like the opposite to what we had. It's amazing. So... Um, but I guess we've got like a big 30-inch monitor and then a Wacom, like a big Cintiq. And then um, it's all designed to be able to just click on the character and drag and sculpt things around with the pen. Um, you can draw into the straight into your scene as well, which is really nice because I still do a lot of 2D and drawing into the shot to figure it out rather than just video reference. But I guess generally it's just shooting reference and getting your shot from your director, getting a launch, finding out what they want um, and what the shot what they sort of see as the most important elements of the shot and who, who are the characters that they really want to focus on and what else is sort of secondary and uh, who, what everyone's thinking and feeling in that moment. Get all of those kinds of details and then go away and uh, do your reference. And a lot of the directors are pretty open to showing reference in dailies, so a lot of people do. You, you, a lot of people shoot stuff and actually show it in dailies and get notes on that and show different takes. Um, or even do 2D little sort of pose tests to show those as well to the to the what we call the hoka, which is the head of character animation. Um, so we'd show it to uh, to that person, um, and you'd have you would basically get get blocking done. When I mean, some people block in step, some people block in spline. I prefer step. And then we normally show what we call an 80% pass once the blocking's approved, which is where everything's kind of there but just needs that final polish. And you get approval on that, and you do your final polish, and then that's it. So I guess that's generally the process for most people, I guess, at work as well. Awesome. So is that basically kind of like your, your daily routine for you as a character animator at DreamWorks? Yeah. Yeah, most days it's really – I mean, you get a good chunk of shots usually in a row, so which is really nice. Particularly, they've started doing that a lot more in the more recent films where they're actually giving you like a big chunk of shots. Like you might get 10 shots in a row. Uh, and so you'll get some really good big long shots and you'll get a couple of little, really little cutaway and simple shots. And so you've got this, but you've got this nice big chunk. And uh, they'll usually launch you on that whole thing. So you go to dailies and you've got the director and the head of animation and you've got the, the supervisor for that sequence or characters there. 
and everyone explains to you what's going on. But generally, yeah, you get once you've got that, it's really just spending your day animating. Go to a couple of meetings, but overall, it's most it's probably eighty percent of your time is spent at your desk animating. Awesome, which is really nice because <laughs> I mean, prior to that, I ran my own company. And it was probably the other way around. It was eighty percent doing all the business meetings and all that yeah. sort of stuff, and twenty percent doing the bit I wanted to do. So uh, it's kind of nice to have it shifted the other way now. So I mean, you, you kind of touched upon this. I just do you, uh, real simple. Do you have a, a preference between two D animation and three D animation? Now that you've now that you three D animation. Yeah, whichever one I'm doing, I wish I'm doing the other. <laughs> so um, on Shadows was nice because you got to do both. But even that, you'd be like two or three can't wait to get back into CG and you'd see what everyone else is doing in CG because it's looking really cool and and you get a little change that's a nightmare to make in 2D because you've got to redraw everything and then and then once you get back into CG you're just going nuts because you can't just put that thing where you want it and it's not as easy to get those shapes and and the 2D you can just draw whatever you like so I find there's a, it's a love-hate relationship between the two. Hmm. Nice. So what has your experience been like in the animation mentor program I had saw that and you'd talk about that a tiny bit. But. It was great. I mean, I to sort of probably just to explain why I did it, I was running my own business. I had my own company in Australia for seven years. We employed 15 animators doing TV shows, mainly for Cartoon Network and Disney. And I'd been doing that for quite a while. And it was going, it, it still runs. Uh, my business partner is still running it. And it's, it's, they're doing a show currently with Nelvana out of Canada. And um, it's a, it was a really good company. It was a lot of fun to put together and we created a lot of our own stuff. But I got to the point where I realized I was doing, like I said, so much of my time was running a business, worrying about how I was going to pay everybody and all that kind of stuff and doing very little of what I love, which is the animation side. So, uh, And we were also getting more and more requests to do designs and character stuff for, for CG. And I just had no background in it, had no real understanding. And so I kind of started looking into courses and, and found Animation Mentor and just really gravitated towards that because of the fact that all the mentors obviously work in the industry. And that seemed to make so much sense. And also because I had no interest learning how to model and rig and texture and all that kind of stuff. So I liked that it was 100% focused on animation. So I did that and it was a great course. I mean, I had amazing mentors. I got a, I had an incredible run with, with people like Chris Chua from Pixar and yeah. Chad Sellers at Disney. And then a bunch of guys, uh, Victor Navone as well at Pixar, and then a lot of guys from DreamWorks. So three three mentors from DreamWorks: Sean Sexton, Dave Weatherly, and Drew Adams. And so it was it was an, an incredible run. And so for the first three months, I continued to work. And then sorry, the first three classes, I continued to work. And about halfway through the third class, I realized if I really I, I was loving this more than I'd, what I'd been doing for a long time, and I just thought I've got to I've got to put everything into this now. So I left my my job and I 100% focused on animation mentor for the rest of the time. And it was, it was fantastic. I wanted to get out of that course and just think I had no regrets. I could not have put any more effort or time or minutes into that thing. And I kind of just lived and breathed that, that course for two years. Nice. Um, and it was, it was really well worth it. So, so you would definitely recommend that for like other, other people that are looking to try, try to get into the animation industry too. Yeah, I definitely would. I mean, whether it's iAnimate or Animation Mentor or Anim School, I think all three of those courses look fantastic. Um, and I think if anyone is is seriously wanting to get into it, I think it's well worth well worth looking into that sort of stuff. I mean, having guys that are working on the films that you want to be working on teaching you every week, I mean, to me, that 
was worth it alone. And also just to get those contacts and oh, yeah. the relationships with the studio. I mean, the reason I have obviously the job at DreamWorks is I think is almost probably 100% due to the fact of having those mentors at DreamWorks. Um, just having those guys on the review boards and having those guys pushing and promoting my stuff when they knew that they were looking for people was a big reason why I'm obviously there. So, Awesome. Um, for for us growing up here in the United States, um, you know, Mark and I, you know, different from different regions, even we, we grew up with Transformers and GI Joe and He Man, um, you know, on on TV every single day. What kind of of animation did you see growing up on a daily basis? I know you already mentioned Hooper and Roger Rabbit, but I mean, did you did you have the Saturday morning cartoons in Melbourne? I mean, give us a an idea of what it was like growing up and how you were able to feast on, on animation. Yeah, I mean, Australian TV is very similar to US TV, so it's pretty much the same stuff. There's a couple of things that we did. We didn't have G.I. Joe. I never saw that. But um, we all pretty much had a lot of the same sort of things, like Transformers. He-Man was huge. I used to love He-Man and had all the toys um, and Ninja Turtles and all that kind of stuff. It was all the normal sort of Saturday morning TV stuff. A lot of, But then we'd have a couple of weird Australian ones, this one called Blinky Bill, which was this really weird koala thing. <laughs> um, and, and it's still going, I think, but a couple of, uh, a couple of Australian sort of shows, but they were pretty bad. So, I mean, you, I, I would definitely gravitate towards mainly the Looney Tunes and the Tex Avery stuff. That was the stuff that really kind of really got me excited about animation just because it was so fun. And Ren and Stimpy as well. That was the other one that I absolutely loved. Oh, yeah. Um, that, that to me, cause it was just so insane and the drawings were so fun and out there. I used to record, I'd record them all. And then sit, put it on pause on the VCR and try and draw the characters because the VCR had a two-minute thing. So after two minutes, the pause would stop working, and it would turn. It would go back to. So I knew I only had two minutes to draw the character, but um, but yeah. So it was kind of. I just to sit in front of the TV and just draw those. Then pause and frame by frame through stuff to find a, a funny pose and try and practice drawing that stuff. But it was, uh, yeah. I mean, it was pretty much the same sort of thing generally. I think the only difference was like, there was a couple of shows like G.I. Joe and one or two others that we probably didn't have. Okay. Was that, was that the British version of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Because I know that it was called uh, Teenage Mutant Hero, Hero Turtles. No, I think we had the U.S. We're pretty sure we had the U.S. one. Okay. Yeah. yeah Australia is pretty Americanized in its media. So most, most shows that are big here are big there. Cool. But, um, so yeah. how, how long have you been working for DreamWorks Animation now? Almost two years. So, yeah, I pretty much I finished Animation Mentor in January, and then I started at DreamWorks in June. And I pretty much started talking to them around February, March, and then it took a couple of months to get the visa and everything to move over here, and then, yeah, started in June. Okay. So, so did you telecommute uh, your work for a while while you were there, or...? No, they pretty much they did inter we did all the interview process, which was crazy. I mean, it was like a three hour interview, um, and it was it was all done via video teleconferencing the, the the interview. So I had to go into this place that they'd set up and did this big interview, and it was for three hours with all these different people. And they sent me like a list of the people I was going to have, and the first one on the list was James Baxter. And I just thought, great, it was really early in the morning. I think it was like six in the morning because of the time difference. Yeah. So I was really tired and then I get this list like 10 minutes beforehand and it says James Baxter. So I was freaking out because I thought I can't even screw the first one up. Um, 
<laughs> but he was, I mean, it was great. And plus, I mean, the fact that he worked on Roger Rabbit, so I had to, I mean, I got to talk to him about all sorts of stuff. And, and that was, that was cool. So it went really, really well, obviously. I mean, they seemed to, to like everything. They were looking for people that could do 2D and CG for this film. And, um, but yeah, once, once they kind of, they, they took about three or four weeks after the interview to get back to me and, and said that they wanted to go ahead. And so then the whole crazy process of getting a visa and moving began and, moved over here so you've permanently moved to la now yeah yeah so we're here now we've got a we've applied for a green card which we'll find out in the next sort of two weeks whether we've got a green card but the idea is to stay to stay here permanently yeah so what's your your favorite memory so far of your of your time at dreamworks uh i mean there's the probably the there's so many the biggest one obviously is like your first dailies the stuff like that is pretty pretty memorable going into your first dailies on shadows was great because you got to they'd only done maybe 10 or 15 shots on the film and it was cool to just suddenly see what they were thinking and doing i'd heard so much about this film and it was cool to see that and then i mean they just do they do a lot of great events we had this huge thing a company update thing that they do every sort of two years so when i just just after i arrived they had one and they flew all the people from the PDI studio down. So the whole studio got together and we went to this huge theater that they booked out. They showed us everything that we're going to work on for like the next five years. And that was really cool to just to see all the stuff in development and all the other cool movies that, that are going on and just have them pitch all the ideas to us, which was really, really cool. So that, that kind of stuff is great. And then just getting to know a lot of these people that you've, that you've read about and been interested in and work with them and, and, uh, and have them like your stuff and, and all that kind of thing too. I mean, a lot of that stuff's really good. Um, yeah, so I guess the, it's all that kind of stuff. I just just like even getting getting to become good friends with some of my mentors as well. Like I now sit next to Drew Adams, who was my class three mentor. And uh, yeah, we've got we've sort of got to know each other really well and become good friends. And so it's it's nice to kind of to have that happen as well. Do you have any like? secret behind the scenes stories or anecdotes that you can share? <laughs> um, I don't know. What can I tell you that I already get into trouble? <laughs> oh, we've got a, we've got a, if you ever come to visit the studio, we've got a secret hidden room. Oh, so nice. if someone says to you, we're going to HR, it's not HR, it's the hidden room. And it's this big bookshelf that you open the door and there's a giant bar behind a wall, nice. um, which is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, so everyone usually gets a tour of the hidden room. Oh, the other memorable thing was uh, Obama came to visit. That was pretty oh, crazy. Yeah. yeah, that was nuts because it was the security was insane. Like they had, we weren't allowed to park at the studio. We had to drive to the zoo, and then they had a buses that were shuttling us over because they didn't want to search all our cars. Oh, and then we got there, and there was like metal detectors and every. I think I got scanned four times at work during the day, and then. <laughs> got up to my desk and I was working and then all suddenly these like these uh, secret service guys come over and tell us we had to get away from our desk because Obama was going to be outside and if they saw any movement in the window that I sat, they were going to shoot me because <laughs> uh, there were snipers up on the roofs. Uh, yeah, so that was, that was insane. I mean, it was just a crazy day. So that was kind of, that was pretty memorable as well. But yeah, I mean, there's a, other than that, I mean, there's a lot of people that, there's a bit of practical joking type of stuff going on and it's just a lot of a lot of fun. I mean, it's a good fun place to work. So I mean, even when you're all finished, it's everyone's having a good time. So Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so when did when did you start working on Mr. Peabody and Sherman exactly? I started on it around end of July, I think start of August last year. So I was came on 
probably about halfway through animation, maybe a bit more. I think they were about 60% complete of animation when I started. So I worked on Me and My Shadow and they obviously decided to put that on hold and then I went on to this Kung Fu Panda, half-hour Kung Fu Panda film that I don't know what they're going to do with it. I think they're going to put it on Netflix or something. But it was 2D. It was 28 minutes of 2D animation and two minutes of CG animation. So the opening and the closing sections were CG and then everything else was 2D. Uh, so that was really fun to work on because I got to do a bit of both. And then so I was on that for about four months and then I came on to Peabody and Sherman yeah, around July and I was on that through till January of this year. So about six months, I guess. Cool. And it's a great film. And we had, uh, we had Rob Minkoff directing, who did The Lion King, um, uh, which was fantastic to work with him because obviously that's a pretty good movie. And uh, you had Jason Schleifer as the head of animation. And, I mean, he had done a bunch of lectures as part of Animation Mentor. So I was really excited to work with him and I'd heard a lot of great stuff about him and and the, as I was working on the Panda short, I was sitting next to Drew and he was on it from the very beginning and he was showing me all the stuff that he was that he was doing. And it was just so cartoony and so pushed and so much fun and I just desperately wanted to get onto it. So I actually did a little a little test uh, shot just on the side while I was while I was waiting for in between other shots on the Panda short. And so I did this little Sherman shot and I just found a piece of dialogue from the the kid Max Charles that does the voice. And so I animated, it was like probably 70 frames or something. And I sent it to Jason and just sort of said, I really want to work on this. And if there's any chance of getting on it, that'd be great. So, and he seemed to really like the test and, and obviously that I'd kind of gotten the style of the film and really enjoyed doing that more pushed cartoony stuff. So uh, yeah, they told me straight away pretty much that I was going on to Peabody. So I was on that then uh, until we finished animation at the end of November and then I stayed on to do the consumer product stuff. So usually they keep some of the animators on to help out with uh, doing commercials and poses for, for style guides and posters and all that kind of stuff. So I did that for about two months um, and then went on to How to Train Your Dragon, which I'm on now. Did you, did you watch Rocky and Bullwinkle as a kid? I keep asking these questions. <laughs> You're growing up in Melbourne. But did, <laughs> I mean, was it something that, that you knew of before you went into it and were familiar yeah. with? I remember watching it. I never was a big fan of Rocky and Bullwinkle. It seemed such an insane show. Like it was just so crazy the way it jumped around and it was pretty pretty full on. And I'm not sure if I ever really got fully into it. I remember liking it and laughing at it. Um, and I remember Peabody and Sherman, so I kind of remembered it. I went back and watched some of the old cartoons because they had a whole bunch of them for us to watch at work. You remember them to be a lot better than they are. Uh, because yeah, that was so limited. I mean, the budgets were so low for that stuff. I remember reading like they went from theatrical cartoons they had like a budget of twenty or thirty thousand, and at the time that was a fair bit of money. And then when they were to make like Yogi Bears and Peabody and Shermans and stuff, it went down to I think about one to three thousand per episode. So it was so low. They they just had to go completely very 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 limited. But there was a lot of there's some really fun stuff in it. And so we, we definitely looked at it and, and Jason and a few of the other supervisors on the show had done a bunch of reference of animating some CG shots more in that style, like really limited and some of it really cartoony, some of it even more cartoony than even what it ended up in the show that was just really, really squashy and stretchy and over the top and crazy. Um, so that was, that was really fun to kind of go through all of that and then finding the style, but Having Rob, who has a really got a, he's got a 2D background. I mean, he was an animator on um, 
think he started around Fox and the Hound and Black Cauldron. So he worked on that stuff and he worked, he was a 2D animator on uh, The Great Mouse Detective. So he had a really good 2D sensibility. And then he did all of, he directed all the Roger Rabbit shorts. Um, and so he has that, he really likes that more cartoony pushed style of animation. So he was, it was really nice where, I mean, he really was just kept saying, go further, go further and hold that pose longer and really stay in it. So it was, Style wise, it was quite different, I guess, to the normal DreamWorks film, which was which was cool to work on. So awesome. Yeah. Did uh, did the Ward Estate? Did they come to you guys and have um, limitations on certain characters? Like, did they say Agamemnon has to look like this? Or I mean, how, how much? I guess how much freedom did you have? They we had a lot of freedom. I guess early on they had a lot more involvement. So I think once they were design when they were designing all the characters and when they were probably doing I know when they were doing a lot of the first animation tests, I'm sure there was a lot of that going on. But by the time I came on, the the, the film was like 60% done. They the style was pretty well established. A lot of the characters had been pretty well established. So it was a pretty most of that point I think it was just let's get it done. Um, but I know I'm pretty sure Rob had quite a, a few meetings with them early on and throughout the film. And I know they've done, since done, had her, had the Juno State, I mean, the the Water State, do a lot more stuff with uh, uh, like interviews and and other things to help promote the film as well. So they also did a Rocky and Bullwinkle short. I have heard about that. I don't know if it's going to be. From what I've hear, it's no longer in front of Peabody and Sherman. They're going to oh, put. No. It's going to be a different short now. Uh, for this broke movie. my heart. <laughs> Sorry, we got to see it too, and it's 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 very similar style to the original show. I really <sighs> kept it very close. I don't know what they're going to do with it. Um, that would have been they, an awesome double dose of Jay Ward. Yeah. I know, I know. I hopefully they'll put it out on on iTunes or Netflix or something. But I know they're going to put a, a short for Home, which is a film we've got coming out at the end of the year in November or December. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be a short for that, which is really funny. I mean, they got Steve Martin doing the voice of the villain in that movie, and it's hilarious. So um, all these little aliens, and that's so I know that short's going to be in front of it instead. Nice. Not the same. <laughs> <laughs> no, the people, the the Bullwinkle one was was great. They they got June Foray as well to do the voice, which uh-huh. I thought was awesome. The fact that they actually got her into to still do the voice. I mean, she's like in her nineties now, but she can still it's spot on. So <laughs> that was really cool. Maybe it'll be in front of How to Train Your Dragon too. That would be the weirdest combination. <laughs> the most no insane, sense. zany, cartoony, and then going to this epic, full-on dragon thing, which I think would be kind of fun, but it'd probably throw a few people. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so, which which characters in the film did did you get to work on? Mostly, I got a lot of uh, Peabody shots. And then I sort of got when you when you get onto a film, you usually get assigned to a supervisor that you kind of stick with most of the time. I mean, generally, sometimes you'll go to other supervisors if if uh, that supervisor's run out of work and they're waiting on the next sequence, and so you help out on another sequence that has a different supervisor. So generally, we have supervisors that that supervise a sequence. So you've got like. Uh, like a, a sequence where it's in Troy and people in Sherman go there. And so that, that sequence will be say uh, Bryce, who's the supervisor for it. So I got assigned to Bryce fairly early on uh, just because I guess it was that sequence was ready. And, and so he was the character lead as well for Peabody. So he was sort of getting a lot of Peabody shots assigned to him. And so I got a fair few from him, which was really good. So 
it was, and it's such a nice, simple design, and it was really fun to work with. And then I got, but most, I mean, most of the shots have Sherman in them as well. But generally, the shots I had were, were probably more Peabody focused. Uh, and then, yeah, so I did a bunch of shots in the Troy sequence, and then uh, there's the very last shot of the movie when you get to see the movie that I did, which was fun. It's the last, last shot, which is cool. It's a really nice big shot. It's like 28, 30 feet, which I guess is about three, 400 frames. Um, and it was a nice big shot of, all, of Peabody and Sherman together, and it was, it was a nice sort of heartfelt moment. So that was really cool because the Troy stuff was a lot more action-packed and crazy. Yeah, uh, and then, yeah, I got to do Penny, the little girl, a couple of shots of her. Yeah, and so I, I think I got to do a little bit of Agamemnon as well. Oh, which nice. is fun because he's such a, I mean, the voice is awesome. So if that guy can say anything and it's good. <laughs> but then Sherman was kind of like that too. Like he was, he was one of those characters that you would open your shot and he would be in that normal kind of T pose. You'd put his arms down, you'd put a little smile on him and he already looked amazing, like so appealing and so cute. Like he was such an easy character to work with because he just looks so good no matter what you did with him. And uh, so he was, and everything that little kid, Max Charles would do, like everything he recorded was so cute that it just, every line you got, you were just, oh, this is going to be so much fun to animate. So um, that was good. Like there was a lot of good voice actors throughout the whole film. So they got like a Stanley Tucci in there and they've got Mel Brooks and a oh, nice. whole bunch of people doing voices. Like Mel Brooks does Einstein, <laughs> um, which is hilarious. And Stanley Tucci does Leonardo da Vinci and he does a really funny Italian accent. Uh, so yeah, that's some, there's some really good voice actors, like people in there just going really over the top fun voices. So there was so much stuff that you just like couldn't wait to animate. So it was so anim over the top recordings. So yeah, the uh, the last question I asked, I'm going to kind of build on that. One kind of just aside: How much input did you, as the um, artist how much input were you able to change on these iconic characters like you know mr peabody or sherman i mean did you have any input or was it all rob minkoff's idea and you were just doing what you were told i mean what kind of what kind of autonomy did you have or if any yeah no you've got i mean we've obviously this the style and the characters had been fairly well set earlier on but in your shot it's very open to what you want to bring to it. So, I mean, Rob was very, very open to that kind of stuff. He would, there would be some things he would have a very specific idea on how something might happen. I had this shot with uh, this big sword coming into the shot and, and I did it a couple of times over because he had a very specific way in which he wanted this sword to kind of enter the frame and hit the other sword and stuff and just to make it look really impactful and cool. And uh, so there'll be sometimes he would have a very clear idea of what he wanted. And then there'll be other stuff where he would, it was pretty open-ended. The, the launch was pretty light on and it was kind of just left up to you to sort of pitch something. But um, so generally you would have a launch that, and that's been the same pretty much for most films that I've worked on at DreamWorks that you kind of, they give you an idea of kind of what they're looking at. You know the character pretty well because we've, we've established that pretty well. So you kind of know what that character will and won't do. But then it's up to you to kind of have to work out what, how you want them to do it. So, I mean, when you do the reference or if you do drawings or whatever else, you, you just start to put in your own ideas and do little things that you think will be fun. And then um, Jason was very hands-on, Jason Schleifer. So he was great in that you could show we'd have director, like a uh, head of animation, Hoke around. So he would, um, every day you would have a time where you could meet up with him, but he's up in San Francisco. So we'd do it like video conference thing. 
and you could just go through your shot and he had great ideas and notes and different things all the time that you could add just little funny things to into what the characters were doing in the background and all that kind of stuff. So it was all pretty free for all to allow you to, to, to add whatever you needed to or whatever you wanted to in the shots, as long as it stayed with sort of within the personalities and stuff that were pretty, and it didn't become really distracting. Like you didn't do something insane on Sherman when it's obviously meant to be a Peabody shot. So, <laughs> I mean, there was, it was kind of tempting because Sherman was so cute that you just wanted to keep doing funny little things with him in the back, <laughs> even when he was in the background, but you just kept, he's so good looking that you just kind of want to keep looking at him. So it was kind of, you had to sometimes just play him down, even though you had all sorts of funny little ideas. I had this one where he gets his glasses knocked off and he had to put them back on. And I did all these reference of him kind of cleaning his glasses and looking at them weirdly and realizing he can't see through them and all these sort of funny little things that would have been great to put in there. But once I put it in, it's just like just watching Sherman doing all this stuff in the background and no one was looking at Peabody. So it was, uh, yeah, so I guess it's just as long as you don't do stuff that's completely removing the reason for this shot that that they were pretty open to stuff. So, yeah, cool. it's good. So, so when you were working uh, on the animation, did you have the footage of the actors doing the, the voice work to to watch while you were, were doing that? Or Yeah, they always video the, the voice recording sessions So because all the voices are recorded at the studio. They have a recording booth there, so they have cameras and everything set up and they always record all of that and then they, as soon as it's available, they send those videos out to everybody that's on that sequence so that you can watch what they were doing and how they did it. I mean, some people, you get nothing. Like it's just them standing there doing their line and then other people will go completely crazy and do some really fun stuff. So that's where you can sometimes just get a lot of really interesting ideas. So on me and my shadow, Josh Gad was doing the voice of Daniel, the lead character. He did Olaf in... Um, Frozen as well, oh, yeah. but he was fantastic for that stuff because it was just a really had a really funny mouth shapes and just really cool stuff he would do that you would try and work into it. And then uh, yeah, and then whereas yeah, you have some other people that you just they're just fairly even though it sounded really animated, they weren't actually doing that much behind the mic. So, but uh, but it's good to have all of that. Usually, you get given all the storyboards, you get given the the voice video of the voice artist, all that kind of stuff to be able to look at. Cause sometimes the storyboards have got really funny drawings and poses that you can, that you can pull from as well. So. So how, how much would you, would you say like what the actor's doing is influencing what, what you're animating then? Uh, some shots, 0% and other shots, maybe 20, 30% at the most. Hmm. So pretty low. Um, so usually it's mainly just if it's anything, it's just going to be some little facial things that you might pull from it, and that's about it. Um, yeah, the rest of it generally is it's your own reference or reference you get from other people. That, I mean, that was the one thing I should, should mention. Like when it, I really struggled with video reference when I was at Animation Mentor. I just found it really hard to do. Doing 2D prior to that, I'd never done video reference. I'd always just thumbed out, out my, my idea and then drew it. And then video reference because such this big thing in CG and animation mentor, they were really pushing it. And I was trying to do it and found it hard sometimes. And I mean, what I found really nice once I got to DreamWorks is you suddenly realize a lot of people are that way. And a lot of people are getting everyone else to help them out to do this stuff. So, I mean, Drew is a fantastic Sherman. For some reason, he's just really, really good at doing Sherman. 
So most people on the movie were getting Drew to do Sherman stuff. <laughs> and then, and it's like, you'd get shots of a female and it's like, well, I'd try and do the female and it'd look weird. So you would get other people, and I mean, we've only got a couple of females, but you'd get Nayun or Jen or some of the other people to help you out, even if they're on another movie, to come in and you'd just book them in for the video reference. Everyone's very open to helping each other out for reference. Even if it's just like size of a person, like you just have a bigger guy, so you want a bigger person to do it. So, I mean, I think sort of you, I realised that you didn't have to do all of that all the time yourself. Like there's, there's so, and a lot of the time it's actually kind of cool to do some of it yourself, some of it with somebody else and just see what other funny things they kind of come up with in the reference too. So, um, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> so um, you've kind of hinted upon it a couple of times. What's next for you? What's your next project? What's, what's coming down the pike? Uh, well, at the moment I'm on How to Train Your Dragon 2. I started that mid January, so I haven't been on it for very long, and um, I'll be on it until the middle or end of March. So in the end, about two and a half months. So really, they just started pulling some people from different films onto that to help finish it because there's a lot of stuff to be done. There's a ton of shots that have every Viking and every dragon in every shot. So and they, of course, usually leave those to last for some reason. <laughs> so uh, there's always the giant epic battle, and for some reason the giant epic battle seems to always be the sequence we do last, and yeah. it's the one that's obviously the most complicated. So I've got a lot of shots with a ton of characters in them, and it's very busy. But um, So I'll be on that till then. After that, I'm not sure. There's a couple of options. One thing that's great at DreamWorks is there's so many films going on. We're, we've got three films coming out this year, and then three next year. So... Uh, there's a fair few good options to pick from right now, which is really nice. So I think some of them are more known than others. One of them is Kung Fu Panda 3 is definitely an option to work on, So, which I'm very interested in. They pitched uh, the ideas to us the other week, so they had the director go through all of the, the stuff that they've been working on, and it, was, it looks amazing. So I'm very interested in working on that. There's a couple. There's another one which I don't know if it's been. So that's looking pretty cool. So they're probably the two most realistic options for me at the moment, just timing-wise. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other stuff coming up very soon for people to start working on. So there's another sort of two or three films that are kind of ramping up slowly that people start moving on to over the course of the year. So, Awesome. Yeah. Great. What would you think is, is your dream project that you'd ultimately like to, to do someday? Uh, I mean, Shadows was probably it. And that was why it was so disappointing that it got put on hell, hold. Um, other than that, who framed Roger Rabbit too? <laughs> so, I mean, I keep hearing rumors and I keep hearing bits and pieces about it. I even asked Rob Minkoff about it because he was asked originally to direct the sequel of Roger Rabbit right after the first one because uh, he had done the shorts. So he had a whole bunch of meetings. There were scripts written. Um, I, I got together with him, with a, I had a coffee and stuff with him after we finished Peabody and just sort of grilled him about that stuff because I wanted to know a bit more about his history at Disney but also just um, just about Roger Rabbit and it was cool to sort of hear where it got very close by the sound of it. A couple of times it's gotten very close. Oh, man. So uh, who knows if it'll ever happen but it's one of those ones that if it was, man, I'd love to work on it. <laughs> Well, well, fingers <laughs> crossed for that, and, uh, and hopefully, me and my shadow gets gets released sometime in the, the next few years. Because I was really looking forward to that when I heard about that as well. Fingers crossed on that one, but definitely, there's plenty of good stuff coming up. I mean, there's they showed us 
again, what we've kind of got coming up for the next sort of four or five years recently. And there's, there's so many cool films and concepts that they've got going and all the character art on different things that it's, there's some really exciting stuff happening. So it's good. Very cool. Uh, so usually we do a recommendation every episode of what we'd like people to check out. Is there anything you'd like to recommend for people to to check out now? I might recommend a few things that are a little bit selfish just because I'm doing some a couple of Peabody things. There's a um, art of book signing that's coming up at the at Gallery Nucleus. So if anyone's in LA and they go to want to go to, they can get to Gallery Nucleus. They're having an art of book signing on the March on March 22nd. So myself and Jason Schleifer and a bunch of the artists are going to be there, and we're going to have the art of book, and we're all going to do talks and show behind the scenes stuff and making of things at that. Uh, and the other thing as well is next Saturday at uh, Van Eaton Galleries, they're having a Jay Ward tribute exhibition. So they've asked like 50 people to do art for that. And uh, that starts next Saturday. And so I've got a piece in that as well. So um, that'll go for a little while. And they're going to put all the art up on their website too. So I, I would check out Van Eaton uh, Gallery's website next next week where they when they put all that up, that stuff up. And it'll be all for sale too. So there's some really cool artists that are doing stuff in that. John's wow. already trying to figure out how he's going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, those two things alone would be good fun. I mean, I have, I have Bullwinkle tattooed on my body. Okay. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, he's not kidding. I'm trying to figure out how to get to LA now. Um, I would, I would try and come up. It looks amazing. All the art that I've seen that is being done for it so far is looking really cool. The other thing you should check out is Funko, the guys that do those cool oh, yeah. little toys. They're doing Rocky and Bullwinkle ones soon. Yeah, I saw they're do, um, doing Rocky and, Bullwinkle and Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Yeah, they showed us the Peabody and Sherman ones, and they were really fun. But I saw all of them the other day on online. I was like, I have to order those. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, at least there's a few things going on. But I think, I mean, the great thing about DreamWorks now owning, obviously, a lot of this stuff through classic media is I think they, they're very open to trying to do more with it. I mean, they, they can see that there's a lot of value in, in yeah. a lot of these older cartoons. And I think they're really sort of looking to how they can make TV shows out of it and make different things and even release good quality DVDs of things and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully there'll be more and more cool Jay Ward and other like the classic media stuff come out. Yeah, and hopefully with the the deal that they have with Netflix, hopefully maybe we'll get some like the the classic cartoons from them. Um, I hope so. Yeah, so, I mean so they did nice that. Too. It's a huge deal. I mean, there's so many shows. They're, they're employing like 300 people at the moment to work in the TV department just to start making all these shows. I mean, there's, oh, it's it's going to be they've they've taken like two floors of this big building in Glendale to basically build a TV studio. So, um, yeah, they got a lot of stuff going on with the TV side of things. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Well, we want we want to thank you for taking time out of out of your Sunday and coming out on the podcast. We really appreciate your sure. time. Thanks for having me. I think it's it's really cool. I, I listened to Jessica's one, and I spoke to her the other day, and um, and I've been checking out all the all the other ones. It's cool. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, we appreciate it again. We'll, we'll let you know what we think about the movie when we, we finally get to see it too. It's a really fun, funny movie, and it, it does a it really does a lot of uh, like little kind of throwbacks to the original show. Like the whole opening of the film has got a lot of the same stuff that's in the original show, and like you can tell, Rob was obviously a really big fan of it, and and really kind of enjoyed utilizing what worked well in the show and kind of bringing it to the movie. But uh, so yeah, I mean, hopefully it does well. It's had good reviews. 
So yeah, very, getting very excited. That's pretty well, cool. It's lucky but, um, people in the UK that already got to see it for the past few. I know. Years. I don't know why it came out so early over there. I never found out why it was like a month earlier. Yeah, it was like yeah, exactly one month earlier. Yeah, I don't know if it was um, like if there was some big holiday thing over there or something that just made sense. Because yeah. it doesn't even come out in Australia until the end of March, because of the they have their like a big Easter school holiday break there. Huh. So I think it's like it's sort of almost almost spread out, like over about two and a half months that it gets released in all the different places. But yeah, it'd be cool. All right, oh. so well, sure you Please, you'll love it. <laughs> well, definitely looking forward to it. It's one of my most anticipated movies this year too. So. All right, good, so, good. Yeah, we we will let you get back to your Sunday evening. Well, thanks, Michael. Man. Yeah. No problem yeah. at all. Thank you, thank you so much again for coming out. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, that's okay. Great pleasure. All right, see ya. Right. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. So we want to thank Michael Amos again for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate that, and we're super excited for Mr. Peabody and Sherman coming out in a few weeks. But don't forget, you guys can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Mark Vibbert, M-A-R-C-V-I-B-B-E-R-T. And I'm John, but my name is Woolbinkle, at W-U-L-L-B-I-N-K-L-E. Or you guys can follow the podcast at Animated Podcast. Uh, feel free to email us at animationfascinationpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website at animationfascination.wordpress.com or you can also join us on Facebook and like us just by searching for Animation Fascination. So I'm Mark Fibbert. For myself, John Huber, and our guest, Michael Amos, thank you guys for listening and make sure to tune in again next time. I was going to start, start. <laughs> Forgot we were going right from the interview. Sorry about that. I think I freaked him out when I told him I had the tattoo. He was like, oh, shit. <laughs> but, yeah, so stay tuned. Uh, we'll be back in a few seconds with our interview with character animator. Oh, shoot. So we want to thank you. Yeah, so we want to thank you. Thank, oh, God. Ugh. Unique New York. Unique New York.